Welcome to America's Talking. Today, I am so honored to be joined by John Miller. He is the director of the Herbert H. Dow Program in American Journalism at Hillsdale College and national correspondent for National Review. Welcome, John. Hi, Austin. Hi. So I wanted to talk with you today. Uh, I spoke with your colleague, Scott Bertram, about this, and I really wanted to get your thoughts as well. I was thinking through this whole Cuomo news anchor scandal. And this guy was texting with his brother, sort of acting as a crisis comms PR uh, function um, while holding his job at the desk. And But what, whether on the left or the right, I didn't expect the conversation to be around the propriety of that. I expected the conversation to be more around, is this person to be held to a journalistic standard? What are the, Should these folks be considered journalists if they are hosting a, a nighttime uh essentially talk show on on cable news television or how are we to see these folks properly and judge them properly well on the one hand they are entertainers right that's that's what they do and you know rush limbaugh always used to say i'm an entertainer Uh, he was insistent on that point and i think um those shows succeed or fail based on whether or not they are entertaining do they do they do they please their audience and so on So let's keep that in mind. But they all do insist they're journalists, or at least many of them do. And Cuomo, um, I I didn't really watch the show, but I I think he probably would have said the same kind of thing. I'm just a journalist who asks hard questions. And yes, I might have my brother on the show, but I won't shrink from asking him difficult questions that he deserves to get. I imagine he was like that all the time in, in, in defending his his position and the awkwardness of of being the host of a major political talk show and having your brother be not only the governor of New York, but one of the most prominent political figures in the country and having him on your show and so on. Um, I'm sure he would have hid behind the idea that he was a journalist with integrity. And of course, we have learned that he was not that at all. So at the risk of, I, I, I think you're spot on there, but at, at the risk of asking a barber if I need a haircut, how much journalism should we consume in our media <laughs> diet day to day? I'm always fascinated by this question because I think during the Trump era, there were many people who had never before consumed so much of what we call news. And I, I debate even you know the the civic or social value of that up to a certain point. But what do you think is the proper amount of, of, of time for people to spend? On, on I guess it depends. News? Depends on what kind of news you're paying attention to. Are you watching cable shout shows every night? I don't know how much news value there is in those. C- certainly some, and you can learn about what's happening and the contours of, of major debates, perhaps by by watching that uh, i'm a great advocate of print journalism and and reading newspapers and magazines and for all the problems we have in in journalism right now some of the best journalism ever being done is happening right now i, I like to say this is this is uh, j- journalism has never been worse than it is right now and it's never been better than it is right now there, there there are all these problems with journalism starting with things like chris cuomo and 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 the bias you see in in our news media and the sensationalism and 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 Twitter and 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 all of that on the one hand on the other hand there's incredible journalism going on and reporters have at their fingertips such powerful tools for 
amassing information, learning about the world and communicating with it, communicating it to the rest of us. This is a remarkable moment. So it depends what kind of journalism you can consume or you 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 do consume. And I I, I start my day by reading newspapers. I, I do it online. I do get a newspaper, uh, a physical hard copy newspaper in the old, you know, old fashioned 20th century way of doing these things. I do get that. But uh, I, I start my day by, by, by reading newspapers online, and, and, and that's how I begin to learn about the world. I think it's a good way of doing it, and, uh, um, and I like getting uh, – I also like getting news summaries, you know, these morning emailed newsletters, which, which are often just some of the bullet points about what's happening. That's a nice, nice way to uh, manage your time and also, also keep in touch with, with, with the world. Um, um, so, so, so it depends, I guess, is, is, is my, my, my short answer. Uh, you just heard my long-winded one. <laughs> so speaking of newspapers, uh, obviously a, a shrinking medium, but if you think about a newspaper 50 years ago and the types of bylines that you were to see in such a newspaper, the people writing those stories, it seems that those types of people have changed versus today. Um, and this is a theory that you could totally slap down, but it would seem to me that 50 years ago, being a journalist, a newspaper journalist was a trade similar to being a, an electrician or a craftsman or uh, you know, pick your, pick your career, pick your occupation. And it seems to have slowly shifted to more of a, uh, a prestige-based uh, uh, I, I wouldn't even know how to describe it, a, a, a field that you go into to signal almost your virtue in many circles. And the folks who can afford to do that, to go to uh, a year at, at Columbia Journalism School and pay $60,000 are quite different folks entering the field at the highest tiers of news than who would have entered those same rooms 50 years ago. Is that an accurate read? Is that a problem? And if so, how do we address that? Well, I always discourage people from going to, to journalism school. And, and one of the things we do here at Hillsdale College, where I run a journalism program for college students, journalism here is not a major. It's, it's a minor. And I believe we have it in its proper place. There are some things we can do in a classroom uh, to learn. But we, we, we actually force people to work at the or obligate, I should say, people to work at the at the newspaper, at the radio station here on campus. But what we really want is for them to major in, in, in an actual real academic discipline, like economics or biology or history, and learn about the world that way. I think that makes you a better journalist, actually, than, than you know, majoring in something like journalism. But you do see a lot of Colleges and universities have created majors in journalism. We now have there are many schools in journalism, and I always discourage people from going to graduate school in journalism. My 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 advice is is always uh, go get a job at a at a at a newspaper and learn this by doing it. Now, uh, there there definitely has been a kind of professionalization in mm. in the news media and in journalism, and I agree with you. Journalism is fundamentally a trade. It always has been, I think, in certain ways it always will be, but there's also this, this, this notion that you, you need specialized knowledge to go into it. I think you need to be curious about the world. I think you need a kind of humility that allows you to ask questions and know that you need to go find people who know more about situations than you do. And then an ability to communicate it, whether it's through good writing or, 
uh, good uh, oral rhetoric if you're on the radio or on television, um, um, good delivery. But but it 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 mixes those things and uh, uh, people people you know to be good at it you know you, you know you need to learn it you need to have experience with it. Uh, so so it takes training. But that's that's true of plumbers, right? Um, um, and so I agree with you. It is fundamentally a trade. There is uh, there is this sort of prestige element to it though where um, um, you know people sometimes go in journalism because they think this is the way they can change the world and make it a better place. And, uh, and, and they view themselves almost as advocates. And uh, that's fundamentally not what it's, what it's about or what it's supposed to be. In journalism, I, I have a very broad conception of what is journalism, and it can include Rush Limbaugh and you know, Chris Cuomo, if he's honest about what he's really doing. Um, or, or actually being truer to, to what he ought to be doing. At any rate, you know, figures like that who have a kind of celebrity and entertainment quality to them, all the way down to um, uh, local radio stations and, and the morning hosts on them and the people who report on school board meetings and, and, and local communities. Journalism is, is, is all of that. But there's, there's definitely this kind of stratification right now where you have prestige publications and uh, people who aspire to work at them because uh, they just want to project their own views and, and maybe tell mm. the rest of us how to live. And, and I, I, I wonder what you think about this theory. So the uh, party split, the partisan split in the United States 50 years ago was almost was very uh, was like 90 percent explained by, well, if you're really rich, you're Republican. If you were working class or poor, you were Democrat. Now it's switched a bit. Um, and there's been a, a bunch of research on this. It's essentially whether or not you got a college degree. And if journalism becomes this profession, uh, which I think it, it already has become, where in order to break into the field, you do need a college degree. Uh, are we cutting out a large swath of, uh, of America by doing that? Should you, do, should you need a college degree to, to go into professional journalism? No, I don't think you need one. I think one can help. Um, certainly, if you get a kind of liberal arts education that that prepares you for the for the sort of general knowledge that a good journalist wants to have, and allows you have good range and and cover all kinds of stories. I, I do think a a college education can 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 be um, of assistance. You know, I think a college education can help a plumber. I mean, you know, to, mm -hmm. to stick with that example, I mean, a, you know, a plumber obviously you can just learn how to how to uh, fix fix leaky pipes and 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 clear blockages and and that sort of thing but you know don't you want to be the plumber who knows how to you know run the books and 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 and, and keep tabs of what's a small business and i you know I, I think a college education can help anybody in these certain uh, in, in these kinds of circumstances do, do you absolutely need one I, I know journalists you know very fine journalists who don't have college education so it it definitely can be done we do increasingly in the United States look to college degrees as a kind of uh, uh, entrance exam to uh, to um, um, uh, professions, and and if, if if you don't go to college, uh, it, it suggests maybe you aren't cut out for certain kinds of for certain kinds of professions. Um, um, you know, this is an easy way for employers to maybe weed out. Uh, certain kinds of people, um, mm. but do, do, do you really absolutely need it? No. Can it help you? Uh, yes, um, but it all depends. Sure. So speaking of sort of that intersection between college education and journalism, I know you're the founder of the Student Free Press Association, and 
I think I, I was listening to Greg Lukanoff speak, who is at the Foundation for Individual Rights and in Education, which does fantastic work. And he has a theory, obviously, about the nature of free speech on campus and whether there's a uh, this phenomenon of students feeling afraid to speak out with certain views on campus is a new thing or if it's always been a thing and it's simply shifted over time. How have you seen that uh, change or what's your view on on campus free speech as it is today? Is it a, is there a big threat that we should be concerned about? It's a big problem. It has been for a long time and it's getting worse. Uh, you, you mentioned my, my group, the Student Free Press Association, is best known for its its news website called the College Fix, and we kind of trade as the College Fix. Everybody knows it as that, although we have this nonprofit uh, behind it that powers the organization. And so on the College Fix every day, we have student reporters who are covering things like uh, uh, cancel culture on campus or threats to religious freedom on campus or threats to free speech on campus. And I feel like I've been a part of this debate for three decades because when I showed up at the University of Michigan as a college student in the late 1980s, I was greeted with a speech code that was brand new on campus. And it had a bunch of examples of things we couldn't say and things we couldn't do. And some of them were clearly, um, um, uh, you know, offensive and so forth, but all these gray areas about things you couldn't do. And what um, is, what cultural, like what social milieu would have, would that have emerged from? Because I think people listening to this now would be shocked that in the eighties, when everybody was like driving white Corvettes and had, uh, you know, flashy hairdos and were doing Miami Vice stuff, there were speech codes at college camp. Like where did that come from? Well, well, the University of Michigan was a pioneering institution on, on this. this. And this was, if not the first speech code in the country of its type, it was, it was among the first. And it was, it was one of the first really notorious ones. And I'll tell you exactly what happened is that in Ann Arbor at the, at the university, there was a, a, a campus radio station that, before I was a student there, like the year before I arrived as a freshman, in the middle of the night, some, some, you know, disc jockey, you know, personality, someone who was, who was in the, in the, in the booth told a couple of racist jokes. And there were all these protests on campus about how that shouldn't have happened and about what do you, you know, what is the, what are you going to do? administration of University of Michigan, how are you going to make sure that we don't have these these episodes of racism on campus? And, and the school responded with a speech code and said, there are some things uh, you just can't say. And in devising the speech code, they 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 they, they painted, you know, with, with with a broad brush and included all kinds of uh, uh, things that are that are, you know, you know, from, from, you know, clear examples of racism to, to things that were a gray area, let's say. At any rate, um, we, we had this, this, this university that, you know, where you think people ought to be able to debate freely, um, maybe misspeak and not suffer for it, uh, you know, have this free exchange of, of ideas and so forth. Uh, you know, the very, it seems like this idea is at, at the very base of, higher education and its and its purpose this 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 administration came in with a speech code and so so that's what i saw when i first got there this is more than 30 years ago and as a student journalist i wrote about it i was at a newspaper that editorialized against it this 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 speech code is actually struck down in federal court while i was at while hmm. i was a student the aclu 
sued the university on behalf of a graduate student who said, I cannot pursue my work as, as, as an academic if, if I have to abide by uh, these rules. And, and this was at a time, you know, today the ACLU wouldn't support anybody like that, but back then it did. And um, I, was, I was conflicted because I had, I had some, um, let's just say some, um, um, all kinds of feels about the ACLU. And, and I didn't care for some of the things they did as a, as a you know, right of center student, but, but here they were they were, they were, they were my champion in a sense. And I've, I've always respected, I've, I've, I've always had a fundamental respect for the organization because of that experience I had as a student. Uh, it's a different organization today. They wouldn't do this now. But um, um, at any rate, that was my experience 30 years ago. And this is still going on. This, this, the schools still have their speech codes. Greg's group, FIRE, monitors all this stuff, rates the speech codes. And, you know, they give them, the, you know, so, some, some campuses are great. They get the green light from FIRE. You know, you guys are okay. You let students talk. You let professors speak and so forth. But there are a lot of yellow light and red light schools where where students don't have free speech rights and they can get persecuted for um, maybe making a bad joke or maybe raising an uncomfortable question or or what have you you can you know when you get into these free speech debates you can you can deal with people who are operating um, everything from in bad faith who really want to be disruptive to people who are operating in good faith and just Maybe they make a mistake. Maybe they don't make a mistake. Maybe I say something that I don't regard as controversial, but someone else takes offense. It gets very complicated very quickly. And um, um, speech codes and, and this sort of thing are the quickest way to make sure we can't have productive conversations that lead us toward the truth. Mm. So I've heard a lot recently, and this is sort of the same <laughs> justification often for speech codes, but there is a... Uh, in the wake of COVID, there is a renewed focus politically and in the media on this notion of misinformation or disinformation. And I feel like I've not heard that word more in my life than I have in the last two years. And it's become a, a topic of constant national discussion. It's a slur cast upon your enemies that they're spreading disinformation or misinformation. And the call in the wake of that has been sort of for more uh, federal oversight or some kind of oversight that social media companies are almost preempting themselves uh, to prevent the spread of this. Facebook obviously has a very large sort of journalism task force that is meant to uh, uh, moderate content on their platform. How do you think of this idea of grading quality news, especially at scale? How are we to, to deal with that as a society? Well, that's a hard problem and I don't trust these companies. I'll say that. You know, I start out with a certain level of sympathy. You know, part of me says, Facebook, Twitter, all these platforms, let's just let people have at it. Say whatever you want. Uh, let it be a kind of anarchy. Um, uh, and then you think, well, what about, you know, then you start thinking of all, all the problems, all the exceptions. What about calls to violence? You know, deliberate calls to violence. Let's go um, um, start a riot or, or hurt a person. You know, then, then you say, oh, that, I don't mean that. Um, so you start allowing exceptions. And then, and then you're on your slippery slope, right? So, so um, you know, pretty soon, uh, it's not just calls to violence. It's you know maybe saying mean things. I mean, the, the you know it, it doesn't take very long to get there, and and then suddenly you get into these situations where you have disputed points, say about um, the science of climate change, 
uh, you know, there, there, are, there are those who will, that will experts have concluded and other people will say, well, no, they haven't. And, and, and suddenly you get, you know, a lot of chest thumping and, and, and accusations of misinformation and disinformation and saying, we can't talk about this anymore. So it becomes, it becomes complicated very quickly. It becomes impossible to manage. And, you know, if you're even going to try, you, you I, I fundamentally, I think you just need people of, of sound judgment in, in, in positions of authority to make these decisions. But of course, that's, that's, that's hard at scale. Um, um, you know, so, 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 so it's, it's a real, it's a real conundrum. The, the, the impulse, unfortunately, for a lot of these places is, is to, is to be overbearing about it and to shut down accounts that are inconvenient and, and maybe are unconventional. Um, my own, my own sense would be, you know, we should, we should allow for more of that. And if, if, if you disagree with something or, or, or think it's wrong, then, then, then speak up or don't retweet it or, or whatever. But, you know, without, without this exchange of ideas, we can't ever arrive at truth. And if you, if you read all the, all the great writings on free speech and the theories behind it and so forth, they, they, you know, the fundamental idea is that um, we, we can't arrive at the truth if, if good and bad ideas aren't allowed to clash. And it's not that good ideas always beat bad ideas, but that in general, they will over time. And we need to have a kind of faith that this is going to that this is going to happen. Speaking of news quality, so you pick up your newspaper in the morning. It sounds like you are still a print news reader. You is that true every morning? Yeah, well, I read online in the morning. I get I get a, I get a I get a hard copy of the Wall Street Journal in the mail Got it. Uh, later in the day. And so you I get, get this magazines. hard you get this hard copy print edition of the Wall Street Journal. If you, John are starting a print news publication in December, 2021, what sections are you including in that newspaper and what stuff are you cutting? Because it seems to me there's like 80% of it sometimes you could cut whenever I see a print news product. Uh, maybe. Um, first of all, I'm not sure I'd start a print news product in this. You have in this, to. In this day and you age. You must. But I would, I, would, you know, I, I would like to see the ones that exist continue to survive. Um, but I think you need the inertia of, of a kind of brand. Um, um, mm-hmm. But, you know, if, if you want to start one, I say best of luck. Say you're taking over. You're taking over the Wall Street Journal. What what sections do you keep? What do you cut? Well, I, I love the Wall Street Journal. It's the best newspaper in America. You know, there, there are parts of it I don't read that um, are, 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 are really great for what they are. I mean, there's there's a whole section called Mansions. Which is, you know, that 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 is, um, you know, basically ads for super expensive real estate with, with articles then about these, you know, homes in Vail, Colorado, and and in the Hamptons, and with these great pictures, and 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 you can you can read them with a kind of envy about you know how how those people live. Um, I tend to skip over that section. I don't. I don't read it. I don't, I'm not really drawn to it. Um, it's a great section for the newspaper though, because they get great ads. Uh, they do have readers for it. And so, so it's not always, you know, what I want. Um, it's what do you think readers want? And, and of course we have to remember with newspapers, you know, what is the purpose of a newspaper? When I ask this of students, they always respond with, you know, to inform the citizenry and, and, and things like that. Well, you know, Yes, that's nice, but the, the the purpose of a newspaper is to make money. It's a business, 
And, and so, so they need to provide information and services that their readers want. And not everybody's going to want the same thing. But I think a good newspaper has more or less the sorts of things we already see in a newspaper now. Uh, news, uh, uh, business news, a good uh, editorial section with, with dueling ideas, a really good sports section, uh, a mix of national and local coverage, um, all these kinds of things. Um, you know, my, my, own, my own interests are often drawn in the, in the direction of, I, I like book reviews a lot. Mm. Uh, those have almost completely vanished from, from uh, mainstream newspapers. The Wall Street Journal is a great book review section. The New York Times still has a book review section. Uh, they exist, but there, there was a time when you could get book reviews really all over the place, and that's, that's no longer true. But I love those. I wish there were more, but that, there, there's, there's not so And there are more than ever before. They just happen to not be in newspapers like well a lot of, a lot, them, right yeah yeah and, you know a lot of great reviews are simply like customer reviews on amazon <laughs> right. you know you, right. you know you, you you know when i want to learn about a book i'll i like to read reviews of it in the wall street journal or somewhere like that but you know customer reviews are really good too and if you scroll through you'll find some really smart reviews you know spoiler free by by good readers who, who aren't getting paid to be customer reviewers they're just they're just you know, putting in their opinion. And, and uh, I can often get a, you know, good sense of what this book is. Will I enjoy it simply by reading the customer reviews? So that stuff, that content is still available. It's just evolved and it's in a different place. Were you taken aback at all, or did it leave a sour taste in your mouth? This notion in the last, I feel like it arose maybe during the Trump era, but particularly during the end of the Trump era, where national political journalists were really and and they often do fantastic work, but really were positioning themselves as almost uh, American heroes because of their job. Um, where should we place journalism and its value relative to other sort of occupations in the United States? I don't I don't like that idea of we're going to rank professions. You know, when 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 the pandemic first came down. There are all these attempts to define essential workers, mm. and and that drove me crazy. I mean, I get I get I get the point that hospitals and nurses and doctors and all that is is important. But I'll, let me tell you, you know, if as I was, I was talking to a guy in in my town here in Hillsdale about all this because because our governor was shutting down all kinds of businesses at the at the start of the of the pandemic, and I was talking to a guy who's a welder in in hillsdale and i said what you know what do you think of this you know and 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 his business was not essential right um as as the government was defining it and he said he said you know if your job is to sell butterfly magnets and that's what you do to provide for your family then your job is essential and i thought oh my goodness he's he's right um so I, i don't care for this idea of of saying what jobs are essential which ones are more important than others um um, if you can, if you can find a, a way for someone to hire you or, 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 to, or, to, or, to, or, or, to, or to, um, shop at your, at your business, um, that's important. That's, that's, that, that's a signal that, that you're doing something, something valuable. I'll say this about journalism. Um, I, I do believe it's important for the health of our Republic. I believe the founding fathers thought this. I don't think it's a coincidence that the first amendment, the number one amendment, the very first one they wrote 
includes freedom of the press and freedom of speech and freedom of religion. These are first freedoms. And they understood that we need a robust press in order to watch our democracy, watch our republic and keep it free. That if we don't have that, then suddenly we're, we're going to lose all kinds of freedoms. Um, you know, the, 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 the press often doesn't work as we'd like it to. We're frustrated with it. We see a lot of bad journalism, but in that there's an awful lot of good journalism. And I will take a lot of that bad journalism for the good journalism we do have. We need more of it. Uh, it's my job here at Hillsdale College to train a new generation. I'm trying my best to do that. We need more great journalists. We can never have enough. There are always going to be bad ones. But um, um, as I, 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 I sometimes say, um, um, uh, when, when, I, when, I, when I'm speaking to a group, I'll sometimes say, you know, I'm a journalist. Sometimes I'm talking to a conservative group and I'll say I'm a journalist and there'll be these, you know, people shuffling uncomfortably in their seats. And I'll say, saying, I want you guys to know one thing. I don't, I don't want you to let 99% um, of all journalists wreck the good name of the rest of us. Um, there's a lot of bad journalism out there. We need the good ones. And without, without the good ones and without that journalism, we will be less free, maybe even unfree. Wrapping up on that note, John, for those, say, 17, 18, 19-year-olds, or whatever, late 20s, any time in life, those people who want to be good journalists and pursue a career in journalism, besides don't go to journalism school or get a real job, uh, what's a piece of advice you would give those folks? Well, come to Hillsdale College, uh, work in the journalism program here. I would say that, number one. But not everybody can do that, and everybody wants to do that. Um uh, if, if, if you're serious about it, though, and if you're, a, if you're a student, go work on a newspaper. Maybe your high school has a newspaper. Uh, a lot of colleges have campus newspapers. That's a great place to get started. You can cover the student government. You can cover local businesses. You can cover the teams at your school. You can learn how to tell a story by working for it. You learn journalism by doing journalism, and everything's a story. How do you tell a story about what happened in the city council meeting last night? How can you tell a story about the guy who just opened a flower shop downtown? What is what went into that, et cetera? Um, um, there are, we're surrounded by stories, and you can learn to tell them at these newspapers. And then finally, just just go get a job in it. Uh, you'll you'll need some clips, and you can get that at these places. You can be a stringer at newspapers. You can try some things. Go go get a job in one of these at, at, at a publication. Find a mentor who can teach you, and. Um, um, launch what what ought to be a great career. I've 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 really enjoyed being the profession myself uh, now for going on thirty years, and um, it's it's just a joy to 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 be able to uh, explore the world, uh, learn about it, ask questions, and then tell stories about it. John Miller, thank you for joining America's Talking. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks, Austin.